All right, it's a Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On this week's episode, BA food director Carla Lolly Music sits down with chef and restaurateur Barbara Lynch. Barbara owns Number 9 Park, B&G Oyster, Sportella, among several other restaurants up in Boston. And she was just named one of the 100 most influential people in the world on Time Magazine's annual list. The only chef to make the list this year. And she just came out with a memoir called Out of Line, A Life of Playing with Fire, about a pretty rough childhood growing up in Boston and then how she transitioned to becoming a local hero. Carla and Barbara talk about that transition, about her Italian-leaning food, and the time Barbara stole a bus as a teenager. All right, let's do this. I asked one of our food editors in the test kitchen before I before I came down here. I told them that I was going to be interviewing Boston famous chef around the world, Barbara Lynch, and what questions they wanted me to ask you. And Andy Baragani looked at me and said, "Ask her how you become a legend." <laughs> Oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> and and when he asked me this question, I didn't even know that you had been named on the Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. Right. Are you the only chef on the list this year? Uh, I think I was, yeah. What got you on that list? I think it was my nickname, Knuckles Lynch. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. You know, it could be part of the book. I, I think... Uh, mentoring maybe or giving back i have no idea really uh and when you say the book you're talking about oh my memoir out of line memoir just came out correct and do you feel like you had to get to a certain place in your career to even have the thought of having a memoir i feel like you have a memoir when you're like i have a life's worth of awesomeness to talk about right i thought i had to be 80 80 ish Mm. um i had to google it actually um Memoir? I'm way too young for that. <laughs> what comes after that? Like the Lifetime Achievement Award? I, I have no idea. But actually, it was very therapeutic to write it. Uh, I didn't want to write a memoir, but my agent, who well, I didn't even have an agent then, and she read a story about me in the New York Times about six years ago and came to Boston, and she was really persistent that I write this book because of what it will do to help other people. And um, well, yeah, what is that? To make people feel like just to inspire and to um, let them know that they can do anything. Like if I can do what I did coming from where I came from, anybody can do anything. All right. So let's back up and talk about that because you came from South Boston, mm-hmm. which uh, a lot of people's only uh kind of crossover familiarity with that world is from watching movies. Yeah, usually uh, mafia yeah. men. and They sort of make the mafia look good or tough, and that looks good. Right. Right. So how would you describe where you, where you grew up? Tough, blue-collar, heavily Irish part of Boston. And your upgra- upbringing, and I admit to not having read the entire memoir because I only got it yesterday, but, you know, that's just the busy life we're living in. I think um, we're in the weeds. <laughs> we're in the weeds. I'm totally the in the weeds. I have, weeds like, but... <laughs> <laughs> I have like seven b- books in various stages of being read right now. Um, this one's a good read. You can do it. Yeah, this is, well, very conversational. And uh, you didn't have a typical sort of childhood. No, we come from very humble upbringings. Uh, my, ma- my mother was a widow, uh, six kids, 
My father died a month before I was born. Wow. We grew up in a housing project. Um, she literally worked like three or four jobs just to keep us off welfare. Um, she wasn't a great cook. Okay. Oh, she made a mean ass uh, tuna fish sandwich mm -hmm. with pickles, great spaghetti and meatballs. But, um, you know, I mean, she was a busy, busy, busy lady. You know, she didn't. Have, she couldn't afford to send us off to camp in the summer. So um, I was a pretty uh, creative kid. And you streets. were the youngest of six. Oh yeah, with boys, sisters, and brothers. Correct. And were they? Did they share in the responsibility of raising you, or was it like you, no. you're, when you can walk, you're on your own? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I read that you stole a bus when you were 13. I did. Is that right? Yeah. Did, how did you, you knew how to drive it or you just figured I'll figure it out when I get in there? Yeah. <laughs> Where were you going? <laughs> the steering wheel was bigger than my head. Uh, I, I, you know, you don't sit on the seat. You just, it was idling at the bus stop at Broadway station. I pulled a clutch and uh, I used to try to drive my brother's little mini. It was like a, it was like a 2002 uh huh. Uh, BMW. That was my first car. Mine too. Yeah. Oh my god. Are you a Pisces? No. Leo. Ah. But what does that have to do with? That? I don't know. We have similar <laughs> similarities. I have no idea. It was the car that uh, my mom was driven to the hospital in to give birth to me, and then when I went to college, my parents still had the car. They gave me the car. Anyway, uh. 2002. So you, your brother whoa, had whoa, one. Whoa. But I, mine was a BMW too, 2002, and I never had a driver's license. But I won 1,800 bucks playing uh, blackjack. Okay. And uh, I went up to. Route 1 in Peabody, Massachusetts, and I waited at Louis BMW, and he gave me my car. I had no driver's license, no oh driving God. experience, and I'm riding down Route 1. It said BMW. I'm like, build my world. <laughs> awesome, right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I knew about the clutch and the thing at age, what, 13? 13. So, uh, yeah, we got about a half a mile, quarter mile. Who's we? Oh, my friends and I. And is, well, this is a school bus or like no, a city bus? MBTA or oh, yeah. cool! You pick any, pick any um, <laughs> customers up along the route. No, we were laughing so hard. I just had to get out. It so like, it was just an adventure. Yeah, and then we're like, "Fuck, right? Let's get out!" And uh, we left it right in the middle of the street and ran. Cool to the D Street projects. Did you get busted? No, God, no. I had luck. God was on my side, man. I couldn't get arrested in anything I did, which half of it isn't in the book, which is a good thing. Right, yeah. You sold drugs? Briefly. Briefly. For my sister. Oh, <clears throat> okay. And there was stealing, and there was just like basic sort of... But I was canning, too. I went canning. Uh, I put like craft paper in a can, in a Schlitz can, made my friends do it, too. Collecting money for band uniforms. Got it. Uh, we would go door-to-door -door for some cash to go eat the fried clams at Hojo's. But then a little old lady called my mother and she said, now, Barbara, I didn't know your daughter was in a band. And my mother's like, <laughs> she doesn't know how to fucking play an instrument. And, uh, band of thieves. Yeah, right. <clears throat> Hooligans. Hooligans. <laughs> so my mother's like waiting for me to come home. She's like, what were you doing all day? And I said, nothing. She's like, uh, where's your money? <laughs> and so I had to give it all back. I'm like, ma. Diane Ben is going to eat all the fried clams at fucking Hojo's. <laughs> <laughs> so I was home from, I had to stay in for a while. So, like I said, not not the traditional necessarily uh, image of childhood that we have in our minds, but no, very real. And you obviously weren't the only kid who had this experience. 
but you grew up, you didn't finish high school, your mom didn't cook. How did you end up in restaurants? Well, I guess I knew if I could cook, I'd always have a job. Really? Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't think I'd get this far. So I, was I figured it, I'd have a sub shop or a steak tip joint. And that was that the goal when you got into your first kitchen? Like, I'm just going to figure out how to make food, sell food, mm -hmm. eat food, mm -hmm. and that'll that I can I can make it happen. Well, I I think I wanted to make people happy by cooking food. And how did you know that was that would do that? When when did you learn that like you could cook and that that had this effect? Um, I think it was pretty much my first job. Actually, I think it was 13 when I made. My first pesto sauce. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, I stole the pine nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but I, later on in life, I went back down to the store where I stole them and I gave them the money for the pine nuts. Really? Such a Catholic girl, right? I just didn't want to feel guilty. <clears throat> How did you know what pesto was? So, I mean, is I read you had had? Bon Appetit. Stop. No, I'm not really? kidding. Yeah. Back then, yeah. That's amazing. Bon Appetit in Gourmet Magazine. That's all I would read. Wow. So you read about this pesto. You had yeah. to get your hands on some pine nuts. And basil. And basil, believe it or not, was really um, exotic. Really? <laughs> in South Boston, yeah. Where'd you finally find it? Uh, in the North End. Oh, really? Correct. And you get back home? Uh, no, I went to my friend's house. Who She was in AA at 13. So she had her group of people over, and uh, I used Prince spaghetti. But uh, I made the pesto at her house with garlic Fresh grated cheese. Oh, wow. Basil and the stolen pine nuts. And they loved it. They're like, what is it though? It's green. I don't know what this is, <laughs> but it's delicious. So, you know, I made them happy. And uh, that was fun. That was, um, I knew then I wanted to be a chef. Really? Mm -hmm. At 13. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So you get into restaurants at a very young age. Yeah. And your education actually came like by fire. Right. Right. Like and who was the first chef who gave you? Playing with fire. <laughs> <laughs> this is the subtitle of this memoir. Um, who's the first chef or business owner who gave you that shot? I guess it, I'm going to have to say Todd English. I only worked for him for eight years. For eight years mm -hmm. at, at Fig and Olives? Uh, yeah. Well, first Michaela's in Cambridge. Okay. And then um, uh, at Olives before it was Figs, the little one. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I ran Figs for two years. And, and that so was like this my is where first real uh, opportunity to open a restaurant. So he, you know, I did it all. And that was in the last two years of working together that yeah. you. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, how much did you know about Italian food, nothing. restaurant service? Ooh, nothing. I, I used to read like the foods of Waverly Route from um, Andrew Square to Harvard Square, which is a good half an hour train ride. Uh-huh. Like I had to catch up. And that was your education was the... Being in the restaurant and then filling in with cookbooks, yeah, Waverly well, Root. He made me a chef right away at Michaela's. Like I was a chef in the cafe. Everything was like sixteen ninety nine, and um, everything was cooked in a Hobart oven. Yeah, like everything got baked in these clay dishes. Right. And he was a fucking screamer. Oh my god, he was really? so tough. Yeah. But was that like? Did that just bounce right off of you? Well, it didn't really bother me because. <laughs> Like, uh, like uh, for me, I'm like, oh, shut up, you know. Right. I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Just push it again. Push the button again. But, did it ever come down? Did you ever push back? Uh, no, I would just like flip him the finger and 
behind his back. Right. Um, and go about. He'd be like, Lynch, you really need to get like organized. And I'm like, I'm never organized. And then he'd just scream at me again. I don't think he really knew what to do with me. But the beauty was that I could cook mm-hmm. like a mad woman. So he couldn't really fire me. And But he didn't know that, you know, talk to me about how you like that first meeting. Did you ring the service bell? Did you show up with a resume? Oh, my God. How did you get in? How did you no. kick that door open? Some Oh, I wouldn't even call him. Like I met, I met a sous chef, his sous chef at a party in Cambridge. I was working at the Harvest, but I was only there for four months. And uh, his sous chef said, wow, you'll be per- you'd be perfect at Michaela's. Would you ever come in for an interview? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll come in. So I gave him my phone number. I was still living with my mother. And the sous chef called me a couple of times, and I never called him back. <laughs> and then Todd English called a couple of times, and I never called him back. Why didn't you call back? I don't know. I just wasn't ready. Okay. So but then, you knew who he was, and you knew that this was— I didn't even know who Todd English was. But my mother, you know, of course, she answers the phone. Right. She wouldn't take a note down. She's like, who's Todd? Yeah, who's this Todd English? <laughs> and then once I answered the phone, this is before cell phones. Oh, way, yeah. And answering machines. Clearly. She used to have her little notebook uh, and her, she'd sit there in her recliner in her house coat. So I answered the phone once and it was Todd. It's like, hey, this is uh, Todd English. Do you, you ever going to come in for an interview? I'm like, uh, all right, sure. Give me the address. Two and a half hours it took me to find this friggin' restaurant. Really? So I was two and a half hours late. Finally, this six foot four guy comes. And I'm looking at him. And I had long hair and blue eyeshadow. And I was like, I looked at him and I said, Who the fuck would put a restaurant here? <laughs> He's like, Oh, this, well, you're sassy. And I was like, Yeah. And then he hired me. Wow. And then I quit my job at the Harvest, which I never do. Just quit. Didn't show up for work the next day. And Mm. I was working at Michaela's the next day. So literally based on that exchange, he hires you. Yeah. Because why? I think it's because I was sassy. Yeah. You're tough cookie. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Knuckles. Knuckles. Right. (laughs) That's good. I'm really a softie. I, I, I've heard you, I, I read that you had said that before. I, I watched a, I watched a actually very endearing video of you cooking and you, you, you talked about being a softie. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you obviously have a tough exterior. Right. Um, enjoy you'll, cursing. When you read the book, you'll know I'm really. Deep down. Deep down, got a heart. And, and you carry it to this day? Um, I think I'm actually softer now. Are your chefs afraid of you in the kitchen? If you walk in the kitchen, do you get that immediately? Everybody ties their apron a little bit tighter and yeah. sweeps, sweeps sweeps off the, the counter. Floor, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The code word is uh, turkey on the gravy. Oh, turkey on the gravy. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the code word. Now. Right for that you're you're coming um, down the hall. Yeah, got it. Mm-hmm. Turkey on the gravy. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. There was I worked at Union Pacific and we had a code also for. And, and it was this long uh, service entrance, so there was like a good, you know, twenty seconds before before the chef would walk in. And I can't remember, but yeah. Yeah, I would the sous chef would pick up the phone, hang up, immediately call to the dishwashers to sweep the floor, and like we all, you know, just as soon as he said that, we all knew the chef was coming. Yeah. So you get that still, yeah. and you still cook on the line, um, or cooking, or you're still in the, in the kitchen. I'm still in the kitchen. I. Try not to cook on the line because I'll mm-hmm. drive them crazy. But mm-hmm. there are, you know, if 
if somebody is royally screwing up, I'll hop on the line. Yeah. And at this point, you have your own group or group O. Mm-hmm. What I do is usually take the CDCs or executive sues to my house and we cook. Cook together. Not all together. Like right. I take one at a time. Right. But you and this, you and your your chef de cuisine, you're you're cooking together. Get to Mm -hmm. really know them um, and to see their style of cooking and see where they need help. And And then, yeah, really get to know them. Do you rely on on them to innovate or come up with new ideas? Or are you, do you kind of know exactly what you want? Well, we, I don't allow them to really veer off of French and Italian. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just have our huge collection of cookbooks, and I inspire them to stay the course. Yeah. And then you can create from there. Got it. There are staples that we can't take off. Of your menus, because mm-hmm. your your clients would freak out. They, like, boycott like nobody's business. What is What are some <laughs> of those dishes? Oh, prune stuffed gnocchi, uh, bolognese, the tagliatel bolognese, the uh, lamb fondue, mm-hmm. uh, the butter soup at Montan. A lobster roll at B&G, steak tartare. There's Can't touch them. Truffle gnocchi, no way. They won't. It's, it's happened to me because it's kind of like I was, you know, I got kind of tired of it. Because sometimes it takes over the whole menu. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But then I thought about it. It's like, you know, Aretha Franklin can't stop singing. Right. Her one hit one. Right. Well, she's not a one hit wonder, but you can't you, stop. You, you got to give. You yeah, gotta I, give. I listened to a great um, interview with uh, Tom Petty mm. like a year ago. It was great. He was great. And uh, he said the same thing. Like, you know what? I get kind of sick of it. And like, I, I want, you know, I want to make new music. I want to perform new music. He was like, but when you're out there in the stadium and 40,000 people are singing the words to your song, like, it's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, and then you think about it and you're like, God, I. I'll never get sick of eating the prunyaki or making it. So then you just perfect it. And so do you feel like those dishes, which are classics, you know, um, you didn't invent them. Are they your dishes or are they, are they dishes that you've adopted? No, um, no. I think that's the difference. Like I did invent the prunyaki. I, I mean, I didn't invent the potato part or the gnocchi part, but I did invent that part. Like the putting a prune in a pasta and foie gras sauce. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's the part. I'm proud of. And yeah. so you have a reverence for like these classic techniques, mm. but not that they would have to be executed the same way. But at the same time, you've got a tagliatelle bolognese, which is... Yeah, I didn't invent how that. Much, right. But shitloads of chicken livers, yes. Right. It's a must. Right. And sage. Yeah, the chicken livers. Our chicken liver, our, we have a bolognese in the, on our classics yeah. recipes. And the chicken livers make people really pissed why i don't know people like don't expect that to be there think it's gross and Mm. are angry well that's a shame i know because it's like you need that get over it (laughs) (laughs) so working for todd english pouring over cookbooks and then travel can you talk about the travel piece and and how that how that changed you as a as a chef well i think yeah i mean i think travel is important um Come from a kid from Salty who never went anywhere. But um, I think Italy was like my most favorite trip of all. Like going over there for the first time was like a little kid. You know, you're just like a sponge and mm-hmm. you're you're taking it all in. And I think what I fell in love with was just the culture first. Um, families. They weren't as chaotic as mine. Mm-hmm. And they actually liked each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they uh, 
all it was all based around uh, food and uh, the mother in the kitchen kind of thing. And it wasn't about a title or how much money you have or you don't have. It was like just a very uh, self-sufficient, um, like they lived off the, you know, the farm. Right. It was great. What part of Italy was this? Uh, Teverina in Tuscany. Actually, it was Sarah Jenkins. Do you know Sarah? Yeah. Yeah, it was her parents' farm. Amazing. Cortona. And so you were able to stay there and like just really soak it up? Mm, pretty much. Yeah. Around there. And you've <clears throat> been back many times. Oh, yeah. So actually, the first time I met you, um, you may not remember, it was like five or six years ago, but I came uh, to learn how to make uh, carbonara from you. And oh, we, we oh, were in, the, in Stir. Yeah, and we were at Stir. And um, Pegora, we made the little uh, It was from um, a trip that you had made to Rome where you were sort of like hell-bent on finding the best carbonara. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was the first one you ate while you were there. Pirelli's. Yeah, yeah. at Pirelli's. Um, so that recipe has like become a classic. Um, at Bon Appetit, people make it all the time. Oh, good. Um, but you, I really, you were an amazing teacher, I felt. And I only spent, you know, an hour or two with you. I was? Yeah, you were, you were the incredibly descriptive. You were, it was based on, you know, a memory of a dish, the way you talked about the texture of the guanciale being, mm. you know, rendered but not crisp and mm. still juicy, but, um, and how many egg yolks mm. were involved. I remember being pretty. Always a lot. It's like six egg yolks <laughs> and one whole egg, yeah. I think, for mm-hmm. 12 ounces of pasta. Mm-hmm. And that was like a very, a very special and cool day. So you've nailed it, huh? Um, I mean, the, here's the thing that happens when I make that carbonara. You, when you made it, you had the guanciale in the pan, mm-hmm. you had the eggs in the parm in the bowl, and then the pasta, I think with a spider, was going straight into the egg mixture. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, using the fat and the guanciale, tossing, mm-hmm. tossing, tossing. And it eventually thickened enough and was like emulsified. Mm-hmm. And I also remember you saying like, at the end of the bowl, there should be enough sauce left in the bottom of the bowl that you take that last piece of pasta and you have something to drag, mm-hmm. drag through which is like, that's that's a great visual cue that people don't think about, mm. you know, that way. But when I do it at home, I often feel like I have to put it back over really low flame to get the egg to thicken enough. Oh, no, you don't have to. What am I doing wrong? Does the bowl have to be warm? No, just don't think about salmonella. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't. All right. I don't know. Like stays liquidy. Uh, maybe add a little more cheese. Mm-hmm. Too thin. Yeah. Yeah. But no, and the and the pasta should be no. You, you maybe add a little more cheese. Okay, try that one next time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and there were a, a lot, lot of obsessive like that. If I remember something that was so delicious, I'm gonna make it right. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, do you serve carbonara at any of your restaurants? Mm, yeah, but I'll freak out if it's not delicious. How often do you go in and spot check? Uh, I got I. I try a lot. If I'm not, then they'll tell me. Really? I also wanted to talk. So you have, this is your first memoir, but you wrote a cookbook Mm -hmm. called Stir. And that was really about like teaching. Mm -hmm. Was that the beginning of you? You talked at the beginning about giving back and mentoring. Did you see that cookbook as a way of like, I know a lot of, I know a lot now and I want other people to know what I know. Was that the impetus? 
Uh, no, I mean, actually, you know, I was younger then. I don't. It's like 2009, right? It's like 13 years old. I think I only had like three restaurants then. Oh, only three. But I think as a chef, you know, and you're going to put a cookbook out. I wanted the big, right? You know, coffee table book. But um, at my editor at the time, I, 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 she was right. She's like Barbara. I like the food that you like to cook, cook at home. Mm. So she was right. And I love Stir because I think it's a doable cookbook for people to cook at home because Mm -hmm. I hate cooking chef food at home. Right. And um, so I think that's the perfect cookbook. Right. Right. And the recipes really work. And it's nice to see that people who cook out of the book feel great about themselves. Mm -hmm. So so I think it's a win-win kind of cookbook. Right. Recipes. And the photos are beautiful. And it's, I feel like it's, it's a, it's a, just a doable cookbook. Yeah. A lot of chefs have a really hard time, I think, making, making that transition from the food that they cook in their restaurants that maybe has made them famous or mm. put them on the map um, and the way that they really cook. Right. And that's something that we're constantly, whenever, you know, whenever we're working with a chef at Bon Appetit, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, right. how would you tell your sister, your mother, your cousin's neighbor, like, to make this? Because that's what we try to get at, you know, the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you, it wasn't, was the, was that conflict there for you? Or was it just easy to give, like, this This makes sense? No, it took me, uh, you know, we had a fight. My oh, really? And we didn't talk for a year. Rock's mine. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I understood it. Because you wanted a chef home. Right. Right. But then she was right, and I gave in. And people use it. Mm -hmm. And then STIR, which is a kind of a hybrid, right, event space and demo. Well, it's, yeah, no, it's just a demo. It's a demonstration kitchen and and bookstore. Mm -hmm. Um, It was basically a place where I knew I I needed an office, really, um, because I knew I was opening three more restaurants. And I needed a place to cook in and and make um, sample recipes as well. And I needed, it's actually the same kitchen I have at home, but mm-hmm. a little smaller. Mm-hmm. And so people come there for? Seven nights a week to, uh, for cooking classes. Wow. And do people want to learn the food that you, that they love to eat in your restaurant? Or do they just want to know how to cook? They want to know how to cook. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. That's what I, I love about it because we teach them how to cook. We're not judging them. Right. Like reality shows. <laughs> <laughs> At what point did you, or maybe you never did, but at what point did you sort of become or start to think about gender roles in the kitchen as part of being a chef? I was just talking to somebody last night about this. Like, I guess it was the Pellegrino Award, like best mm-hmm. female chef. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I this didn't sit well with me. It wouldn't be great if it was just best chef. Right. Right. I think it would be great. Yeah. It's not like a, a, a physical sport where, like, your anatomy makes a difference. Yeah. I, I mean, if, you, if we continue it this way, that, that's not going to help anything. Do you think about this dynamic at all when you're hiring or staffing your kitchens? No, but, you know, if you have passion, I'm going to hire you. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather you don't come from another management or another kitchen. Really? Because I can't. I don't want to clean up your management mess. Like, if you have passion, I can teach you how to cook, and I can we can teach you how to be a great leader. But I don't have the time to teach you, you know, right to turn you around. Right. But you're not like teaching someone to unlearn bad habits. Mm-hmm. 
But you could take somebody who had maybe never never cooked and teach them how to cook. What do we do? You do. Mm -hmm. And how do you know? Like you're sitting down with someone, they're a young cook, Mm -hmm. they show up, they want a job. If they have a vision and a notebook and it's not empty and you have a vision and you have a goal, we're your team. Come on. We'll, We'll set you up for success. Definitely. Is there a question that you ask anyone who comes in and wants a job with you? What's your vision? What's your vision? Mm -hmm. Where's your notebook? Where do you want to be in five years, ten years? What's your five years and ten years? Where do you see yourself? What's your oh? What's your favorite cuisine? Mm. Is there a wrong answer, or you just want to know what there? You just want to know what's there. I yeah, and then then they stage in the kitchen, and then you want to see their teamwork and what their energy level is like. Right. Oh, yeah. where'd you grow up and how old are you? That's it. Are you le- are you of legal age to work in the kitchen? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Did you boost a car to get over here today? Uh, <laughs> do you know how to hotwire a car? <laughs> <laughs> These are skills people right. need. Right? <laughs> it's a physical job. Uh, oh, oh, my God. I met the most amazing woman. In, she's from Philly. She just opened the first woman-owned car mechanic shop. Awesome. In mm. Philly or in the world? No, in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> we, I met her at the White House. We were speaking, speaking for a woman's, you know, small business woman entrepreneur mm-hmm. uh, leadership, and she, she, so she was talking about like I was just in awe because she was just talking about like how she, uh, you know, loves to fix cars, and when she would take her car to go get fixed, like these guys would just give her a hard time and overcharge her, blah blah blah. So as a young kid, she said, "I'm going to own my own." Car, car mechanic shop. I was like, fuck. That's awesome. <laughs> I said, man, I can hotwire a car like nobody's business, but I, I don't know. I just don't know how to fix a car. Right. And, we were, and then we were just like friends after that, but she's doing great in Philly. She has a nail salon in it. In the car repair place? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm like, can you open one? Can you open a Home Depot by any chance? <laughs> I, I don't know anything about tools either. So. so talking about mentoring, you have a daughter. Yes, I do. She's a teen. 13. 13. So how did your – it's hard to parent a teen. I'm just going to preface by it's saying that. It's hard to that. parent in general. It's hard to parent in general, but then like the turn to the teens because I'm dealing with this same scenario mm-hmm. where you're like, you're a different – you are turning into a different person and I now have to figure out how to parent you. Um, your own, your own childhood and upbringing, you know, how much has that, how much does that inform the way that you parent? Like, are you more accepting of rule breaking? Do you expect her to break rules? Do you want her to toe the line? Like, where do you? Oh God. If she breaks rules, I'm like, you know, I can break rules. She can't. No, I, I, oh God. She's No. <laughs> now I so expect she, her uh-huh. to be a wonderful woman in the world, a leader. I have a lot of expectations for her. And even though you were a rule breaker and ended up being a certainly ra- influential leader, business owner, times 100, come on. I raised myself. I have high expectations on myself, higher than I'll ever reach. I'm just helping her have high expectations, higher than she'll ever reach. Right. I'm just guiding her along. I didn't have the guidance. Do you let her curse at home? No. Does she misbehave? Yes. She does. She know, she doesn't know I know it, but I do. 
And what are the repercussions? Yeah, um, you're going to go to camp longer and longer. <laughs> Leadership camp. Oh. I had a week on, another week, two more weeks. Interesting. Oh. Can she cook? Yeah, she can, actually. She, well, can, she was fleeing salmon at age six. Nice. Um, she tells me I can't. Mom, you really don't know how to cook. Here, no. Let me show you how to cook popcorn. <laughs> that was at age four. She put the little post-it stamp on the microwave and points it to the popcorn button. Cause she, really? Because I like to do it in the pot. Right. Oh, she's she's like my toughest critic. Like when I make pasta, if I leave, yeah, I like a little pasta water in it. And if it's too much, she'll just walk by with a smile to the sink and empty it <laughs> out. <laughs> nice. That's humbling. She loves to cook. Mm, yeah. So, and lately she's just been cooking with me a lot when I'm home because I haven't been home lately. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Because of travel? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, my son likes to cook too, but he he doesn't, he's fearless. I think like the younger cooks are... They've watched so much cooking on TV. They've experienced so much. They've gone to so many different kinds of restaurants that are casual, but have all these cuisines and flavors. And they just feel like, I'll figure it out. I mean, that's been my... She's kind of like me too. It's like, she'll go... When she was young, I took her out and she's like... The server came over and he said, well, what would you like? She's like, well, I'll have the pasta. He's like, well, we don't have that, but we have spaghetti. She's like, well, that's pasta. (laughs) I'm like, oh, fuck. Shut. <laughs> Zip it. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm. Um, all right. I'm going to swing into our lightning round. Oh, what's that? I'm going to just ask you kind of a series of uh, this or that type oh. questions. Okay. And you just have to imagine this is like forever. Forever? Forever. That's forever. I know, but just for, you know. That's a tattoo. <laughs> Oysters or crudo? Oysters. Great. Forever. Spaghetti or rigatoni? Oh, God. All right, spaghetti. When we did the carbonara, it was the rigatoni. Well, that's, you know. It's one of the two. You're making me, you know. I know. Decide here. Yep, I am. Red Sox or Celtics? Socks. Fresh or dried pasta? Fresh. Do you feel like any home cook could make dried pasta? Make dried pasta? I'm sorry, make fresh pasta. Is this something any cook could do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And should know how to do. Well, you just have to practice a little. Right. I'm trying it's to convince so Adam to let us do a fresh pasta story. He's been very resistant. So I'm just working it all the time. Adam, I'll show you how to do it. Great. Tricks of the trade. There you go. Ben Affleck or Matt Damon? Damon. <laughs> I hate Affleck. <laughs> Butter or olive oil? Butter. Really? It's another nickname. Butter Lynch? Butter. <laughs> Butter and Knuckles. Butter. See, you have to like have had an interesting life to end up with nicknames like that. I make butter soup. Butter. Butter. All right, that's it. Butter right. with Barbara Lynch. Thank you so much for coming in. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's with additional music by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. 
Thanks for listening. 